This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. One of our main roles as clinicians is to provide as much knowledge as we can when supporting clients in treatment. The saying goes that knowledge is power. But when does that knowledge and the education we provide, also known as psychoeducation, become a reassurance trap when treating OCD? In today's episode, you will hear us talk about how to detect if psychoeducation is moving into reassurance territory and how to navigate that with your client. We also talk about the importance of transparent conversations, that sometimes providing a little bit of reassurance is okay, and that we too, as clinicians, have to accept uncertainty. Let's get started. Hey, Tori. Hello, Celine. Another skills episode today. Yes. My favourite time of the week, recording these with you. Yes. (laughs) It's become a routine. (laughs) I know, I love it. The topic today, I think, is a really good one. When does the very important provision of psychoeducation turn into reassurance. Oh, when you mentioned this during the week, I was like, oh yeah, we so need to address this. (laughs) And I brought it up because I was actually in a session this week and thinking, where is the, how do we find that line? Because for those who have been listening along or have some experience with ERP and you'll know just how important providing psychoeducation is. And it's a huge part of ERP and a huge part of what we do. And I often say to the people I work with, you know, knowledge is power. And a lot of, I think the reason that psychoeducation is so valuable is because it makes what feels so difficult to understand suddenly understandable. And you can see why ERP works and why it's important. And I think it gives a sense of hope, particularly if you understand sort of the neurobiological components of OCD. It helps you kind of visualize what's happening in your mind and gives you kind of a sense of what all the hard work is for, which I think is really important. But we also know that people with OCD are hunting for certainty, that they feel reassured by certainty and providing psychoeducation can go too far. And it's a line we've got to walk. And I suppose I was thinking about that this week, you know, how do we know when we've stepped over the line? How do we know that we're doing it before we're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And how do we um, spot it in the work when we're doing it? How do we hear it in our clients and the way that they're talking to us when they might be doing it for themselves? Yeah. Yeah. They're such great questions. If anyone could tell us the answer, that would be really wonderful. (laughs) 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 And I'm saying that because we're human at the end of the day, right? Like we are going to get caught out every now and then. So I always say like you might catch yourself providing reassurance or find that the conversation is becoming too long in session and we're not weaving it into exposure therapy like ERP. But you can always unhinge the situation by 
throwing some uncertainty back in there once you've realised what's going on. You've always got that card up your sleeve. Yeah, this is how it works, but maybe it's not. Who ever knows? Yeah. Yeah, one thing I love telling my clients is I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and they're like, I know what you're doing. And I'm like, do you really? Do, you? <laughs> do I know what I'm doing? <laughs> <laughs> I look, we do laugh about it and it's still like clearly we're not being serious about it but at the same time it just leaves, it leaves a little seed of doubt and that's all you need but ultimately I think they're such wonderful questions and sometimes we do including myself like have to catch ourselves in the moment and go shit we've just been spending this entire session talking about whatever this is and it's a whole heap of psychoeducation and this is just a whole bunch of reassurance. Who was it, Celine? Was one of our earliest interviews, was it Dr. Scott Blair West? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Who said that sometimes people do need some reassurance. Yes, it was him. Yeah, because sometimes people legitimately have the facts wrong. They legitimately don't know. And I think he was talking about in the context of people not understanding that you actually can't catch HIV, for example, or AIDS from a toilet seat, that there was all of this, you know, rumour-mongering in the 80s and 90s that people then thought was factual information. And sometimes you do need to tell people, actually, that can't happen and that that is okay to sometimes actually let someone know this sort of information. And this is sort of the seed of... The conversation was that I was providing some information to someone that I was working with during the week and thinking, how do I know that what I'm not just doing is providing reassurance that nothing bad is going to happen? I am a big fan of that as well in in a sense of if someone genuinely doesn't know, we do need to have that conversation. But then put the little, good old little asterisk terms and conditions apply of now that you know this information, I'm always very transparent with my clients and I'm sure you are too, in a sense of now that we know this information, be careful and be mindful of what OCD is going to do with this information to make you feel better now that you know it. So going in with anticipation, trying to talk about like what's expected, is it going to make you come back to this to give you ongoing reassurance in your own mind? Like are you going to revisit this conversation? Are you going to write it down somewhere and read over it? Are you going to find yourself Googling this information later to reread it just to make sure you understood it correctly? So just anticipating all of these things, knowing the information isn't the bad thing, it's what we then do with the information that becomes the problematic part. That's a good distinction, I reckon. Yeah. So I think if we have the conversation with our clients and let them know hey, now that we know this, OCD can turn this into a thing because it likes to turn everything into a thing. (laughs) So how can we prepare you to deal with it and to do response prevention when that urge to hang on to that reassurance creeps in? Because I also don't like coming across as being the reassurance police with clients or coming across as being patronising in terms of going, oh, this is just an OCD thing and just shutting it down. Our clients at the end of the day are also people and they need to be heard and validated and all of these sorts of things. They have curious questions and they want to know. Because they're intelligent people. And it also makes sense that if you're stuck on something and feeling really anxious about it, it makes sense that you'd be looking for information to help you understand it better. But as you're right, when it comes to OCD, if OCD is latched onto it, then the reassurance won't work. 
that's what we're looking out for. But it's okay that people are wanting to know more about what's happening and are looking for more understanding and more confidence in what they believe. Like that is okay. Absolutely is okay. So I'm a big fan of answer the question once, but if it comes back at you in different ways, then it becomes a treatment thing in a sense of going, okay, we've had this discussion What's going on for you right now? What's OCD telling you in this moment? What are the urges? Let's try and stay in the uncertainty and so on and so forth. And just listening to how the client is using it, because it might not show up in session, but a client might say something like, oh, you know, this was really helpful, et cetera. And Tori and I were having this discussion earlier of like, well, what's your client's version of helpful? (laughs) (laughs) Because now I have a new script. Yes. Yeah. It's helpful because nothing bad will happen. Nothing bad will happen. Tori said nothing bad will happen, so nothing bad will happen. Just remember, nothing bad will happen. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. So if your client's version of helpful is not the same as yours and it's important to check in with them with, okay, if it's helpful, can you share with me what that looks like for you? And then all of a sudden they're describing this repetitive kind of nature around it or they're Googling the information or they're just, you know, using lots of scripts around it and just writing it down loads of times or revisiting the conversation in their mind. It's like, "Mm, this sounds a bit like a compulsion now. How can we stay away from those urges and exercise response prevention in those moments and not err on the side of reassurance? Yeah. We were talking also about how important time is here and about how you won't always know straight away. I mean, you can have an instinct and when you know your client quite well and you've seen it before or you have a, you know, you have a really shared understanding of the way that their OCD manifests. So particularly if there are a lot of mental compulsions or compulsive researching, I think you can kind of have a good instinct about how they might use that knowledge. But sometimes you've just got to give something a go and then see how it bounces back over time is sort of how I also like to navigate it because I'm the same as you is that I'm not going to not talk about some things because it's just against the rules because OCD, you know, it might turn into a compulsion. It might be reassurance provision. So I think sometimes it's about, well, let's be aware of what could happen here. And sometimes I think for the clients that I know really well where I'm aware that they really like to seek reassurance, I'll often ask the question before I provide information, why are you asking this? What urge is sitting underneath this? Where does the desire for this information come from? Because my worry would be that you're asking this because you're seeking some reassurance because you might have some discomfort right now and you're looking for some certainty, in which case my answer is not going to be helpful. What could we do instead? I remember a young person saying to me once, actually, you know what? It's just the reality is. Like I think the question was around washing and towels and laundry. How often are you supposed to wash your clothes and your towels? How many times do people use a towel? Because she said, I don't trust my own mind because I think you're supposed to only use it once. But my mum says people can use a towel for a whole week, but that seems like such a long time. Is she just saying that (laughs) (laughs) because she wants me to use a towel for a whole week? Or is that actually what people do and that's what I should be aiming for? Because if that's really normal, okay. That's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. Like that seems really hard, but I kind of feel like mum's being sneaky. (laughs) So I think in that instance, you know, we did have that conversation. Are you asking for reassurance? But also then we were able to do a really nice mapping out of how we might get her to 
up to using a towel for a whole week and making decisions about active soiling versus a sense that something is gross and how to differentiate between a, a compulsive, you know, an urge to do a compulsion versus a logical choice because you have to live in a world and it's okay if your towel fell on the floor into the cat food and is now smeared with <laughs> wet cat food or something or is covered in mud. Yeah, because or you know you're on your period or you yes. haven't wiped your bum properly or whatever. Yeah, or it's covered like, in makeup, yeah. you know, like that actually you do a towel change, you know, like that makes sense. So in that instance, that was very helpful. But I think if she'd come back again going, look, I've just, can we go over that again? Because I just wasn't sure. I'd be like, okay, all right, here we go. But that was an example of, I think, a time when education was actually valuable. Absolutely. There are a lot of questions like that when, because the primary thing of OCD, like without being a key component of it, people do lose their sense of trust in their own judgment about things. And Half the time, this people are so used to doing things in a certain way that they don't even know what's actually considered what the majority of people would do as opposed to what OCD has been wanting them to do. So it's a very valid thing to address. And I think you've just provided a really lovely example of that. I think what I wouldn't do, though, I think in saying that I think there is a line in the sand that I do draw, although probably I try to think about it each time it comes up, is I won't answer questions like, will I get sick from this? Will this make me sick? Is this the right or wrong thing? Should I go to the doctor? I've got these symptoms. What do you think it is? Like I wouldn't answer any question like that. I would put that back on my client to say, what's happening here? What do you think these questions are about? I'd have a conversation about that. What's going on here? And I think the key difference between what you're describing, it's a lovely distinction, is there's an underlying what if in those examples you've just provided, which is linked to anxiety as opposed to what is, like, I actually don't know this. That's a good distinction. Yeah. The what if versus the what is. Yes. That's a very interesting idea. I mean, it won't work exclusively. No, it's not a black and white rule. Yeah, but that is a really good way to sort of to start thinking about navigating this. Because the what is comes from a curiosity versus the what if comes from anxiety. Yeah, that's right. So the instance this week in the in the session that I was having with my client, I think was a what is question. It was about neuroanatomy and just trying to understand how the brain works and how the brain can change over time. Just trying to understand how that works. And uh, I was trying to talk about it within, in relation to what I actually do know, which is not everything by any means. Oh God, no. Yeah. None of us do. Yeah. So, you know, it was sort of couching those terms. Look, this is my understanding. It may be right also for think about it, part of how I navigate reassurance provision, which is, look, this is how I understand it. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's not, but this is how I understand it. So it's not providing certainty because I don't have certainty about my own knowledge either. And so we had this conversation where I was saying, look, from my perspective, this is how I have understood the research to date, that this is what happens in the brain. And this is how it works. And so the kind of logic that you formed kind of doesn't really fit with how I think we more broadly understand the brain. But hey, that's my position. 
What are your thoughts about that? And I think my question about was I providing reassurance came up because my client seemed to experience a bit of relief from that. And then I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're so used to thinking that our clients have to permanently be in a sense of discomfort. (laughs) That as soon as there's a little bit of comfort and relief, we're like, oh, shit. Did I do something wrong? <laughs> I, do. I know, I know. Oh dear. Whereas in fact, it has seemed a bit more like perhaps it was a relief to actually be able to let go of something that they had misunderstood for a really long time and had been really scared of. And so what we'll have to do is wait and see if that then turns into compulsive internal, sort of providing reassurance internally, if it turns into a mental compulsion of, no, 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 that's not how it works, that's not Tori said, that's not how it works, or whether the question comes back again or whether there's compulsive researching attached to it to try to find the evidence for what I said and what we talked about. I think we're just going to have to watch and wait. But my hope is that, that, you know, my instinct was correct, but... I think the other thing that I think about is that it's okay if it's not. It's okay because then it's just, you know what? We looked at that. Guess what happened? Let's understand about how the brain latches onto things and turns it into a compulsion and what those feelings are underneath that make it really hard for you to sit with uncertainty and, you know, despite you having 99% confidence that it's most likely that this is what it means, that that 1% just leads you to hours and hours and hours of ruminating. I've definitely had that experience with a handful of clients where underneath it sits this level of scrupulosity of needing to know and we've tweaked ERP along the way and tried something and gone, this has become a, like a reassurance thing now. It's not serving its purpose we need to now backtrack and how do we undo this? And it's okay. It's a transparent conversation that you have with your client. And especially if you know that it might go that way, but you say to your client, "Mm, let's give it a go. This could happen, but it might not happen. Are you willing to try it? And they're like, yeah, okay, great. Or no, actually you're probably right. It's going to turn into a reassurance thing. Let's not go down that pathway. Or they might be like, no, okay, let's just see how it goes. And then report back and go, it didn't work out the way we intended it to. And it's like, okay, well, we need to address that now. And that's what treatment is all about. It's a collaborative team effort because you just don't know which way it could go. It could go either way. Absolutely. And I think you've got to test things out. You've got to be creative. I mean, isn't that what we talk about all the time here is the need for creativity and openness to new ideas and collaborative work with clients. And also that it is practice what we preach. It's okay to not know. That's exactly right. Yeah. Work within the boundaries of what is good, ethical, evidence-based practice, but you don't have to have it all locked down. And it is okay for it to be a bit of a journey with clients and to have to say, you know what, that actually, you know, we've learned now is not the direction for us to go. And certainly I have had that conversation with clients multiple times and not even just in relation to this context, but even thinking like, okay, we've been doing the hierarchy thing. We've been doing the traditional ERP, but now that I know you better, we're several months in and progress hasn't been great. I think we should let that go. Let's take an act-based pathway. That fits you and the person that you are better. Let's do ERP, informed act therapy for this. Shift gears a little bit and bring in other strategies as well into the exposure work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
The other thing that can happen too with when psychoeducation becomes reassurance is when you find that clients get stuck in the knowledge and use it to start intellectualizing their way through treatment and then sessions start to become this really intense discussion around the education side of things and what could happen and what does happen and and all of that sort of stuff in terms of what treatment will look like or what happens in the brain and so on and so forth. But it's a repetitive discussion. And it's usually there because it's to avoid getting into treatment. So if you find that you're having repetitive discussions about the same sorts of things and you're not really doing a lot of the exposure and the response prevention aspect of it, you're likely getting stuck in that avoidance pattern as well. So that's another way I think that psychoeducation can turn into reassurance. I would agree. And in those instances, it's it's worth an assessment. And by that, I mean, again, that transparent conversation. Typically by now we would have moved into doing exposure work, but we're having these conversations. Are you having trouble with the content? Is it that you feel nervous about doing exposures? Are you feeling like you have to really, like, are you looking for a kind of a 100% (laughs) understanding of the principles and feeling like you have to have this perfectly locked down before you can successfully do exposure work? What is it that's stopping us from moving forward? And do we just need to work on willingness, bravery, courage, and going for it and just getting stuck in? Otherwise, it can be a very lengthy dance. Yeah. (laughs) And look, I think we as psychologists, I think that this is a rabbit hole that is very easy for us to go down because I think we really enjoy the intellectual conversations. Yeah, of course. I think we enjoy the curious questioning and the wondering together and the bringing together of research and data. I think we have a real love of that stuff. And so it's very, very easy to do it. It's very alluring. It sure is. At the end of the day, you're never going to 100% know if your client is asking reassurance or not. We can use some of the guidelines we've suggested today of the what is versus the what if, or if you know your client really well and know what they're prone and how they're prone to asking questions. In terms of that wonderful example you gave earlier, Tori, about what's going on here? Is this feeling a bit uncomfortable? Or if it's coming at you repetitively, but in different ways. So there are a few things you can use as a guideline to be like, is this heading into reassurance territory? The other thing to keep in mind is how your client is using the information that you provide. So listening out for things like what their version of helpful is versus your version of helpful. (laughs) Um, And just checking in and making sure that your client is using and or working towards discomfort over comfort when it comes to information. So knowing the information, but still choosing to be uncomfortable as opposed to using the information to feel super comfortable about it. And yes, it might give a little bit of relief, especially if they had no idea or if they were misinformed. But at the same time, as we know, reassurance only takes people so far. They're still going to feel uncomfortable. They're still going to feel doubtful. There's still going to be a tiny seed of doubt there. And if all else fails, you can still throw a little bit of uncertainty back into the mix and bring your client back into treatment principles as well. Beauty. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. I enjoyed this. Thanks, Celine. Oh, it's a great topic. And we could talk about this for hours and hours, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon too. 
But we won't. No. So this episode can end. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think our editors will be too happy about it. Hours and hours long <laughs> recording. <laughs> All right. Hopefully that was a useful episode for everybody. Thank you guys for listening. Yes, thank you, everyone. Can't wait to be back again. Yeah, catch you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au all one word. That's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and break the rules. <laughs> <laughs>